Welcome to another episode of Data Privacy Unlocked. My name is Dave Stouse. If you've been listening to our podcast series, you've heard me give the same introduction for the past 10 episodes. As you have heard, we launched this podcast series to talk with state lawmakers who are spearheading state privacy legislation. My hope when we launched this podcast series was to talk with at least three state lawmakers about their bills. Today is now our 11th episode and our eighth lawmaker interview. It is also our first episode recorded in 2022. And I feel like we are just getting started this year as we hope to bring you many more episodes. So with all of that said, our guest today is Democrat Representative Zach Fields from Alaska. Representative Fields is co-chair of the House Labor and Commerce Committee, which is currently considering HB 159. Representative Fields, thank you so much for joining us today. The opportunity to be here. Maybe we can sort of start from the beginning, right? Is uh, how did you get interested in, in this area of data privacy? Ivy Sponholes, another Democrat from Anchorage, and I co-chair the House Labor and Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over these issues. And um, I've been interested as a citizen uh, watching the role of social media companies, which I think have been foundational to the to the recent insurrection um, that attempted to overthrow the results of the presidential election. I've observed as um, technology companies tracking of individuals uh, has led to more extreme and dangerous behavior in terms of state and local policy. And then, of course, as a citizen and as someone who has two young kids, I've observed really troubling industry behavior in terms of targeting. And I think it's accurate to say preying on youth. We have this situation where companies' willingness to engage in Parasitic and predatory behavior endangers our democracy, endangers our kids, and their ability to track and sell data is intimately related to the extent to which these companies' behavior is actually dangerous to our society on multiple levels. So as a citizen, that's what I've observed. And then in chairing the committee, um, when the administration introduced a data privacy bill, I was very interested in it because I think it has implications not just for privacy per se, but for how our democracy functions and for how we protect um, the rights of individuals and particularly kids in an an area where there's rapidly evolving technology. And I should note that Alaska's constitution has a right to privacy, very clear. You know, the case law has developed on that since our constitution was written 60 years ago. And I think it makes a lot of sense to update statutes to define what exactly does that right to privacy mean? Um, We have a really strong judiciary. I think, you know, if cases went to court, I'm very confident the judiciary would make an informed decision but it always makes sense to, to clarify by statute if we have the ability. Thank you for that. And, and it kind of leads me to my next, my next question, which is uh, this bill was introduced last year, uh, but as it got introduced, it was the governor's bill is my understanding of it. But now you're leading the charge and the bill has changed over time. Can you kind of uh, walk our listeners through what happened between, you know, when it got introduced and, and what the bill looks like now? Frankly, I think the governor wanted to grab a headline. Governor introduces privacy bill. Privacy is overwhelmingly popular in the state of Alaska. So he introduced this bill. um, And then, as far as I can tell, didn't put any energy in passing it. He got his headline and he moved on. Um, Now, that's not to say some of the staff in the Department of Law didn't put a ton of time into the bill. They did. And they had some really good ideas in the bill. So I wanted to take this opportunity. Maybe you could argue the governor's interest in it was cynical. I don't really care. It's an opportunity to advance good policy. So when we we heard this bill in committee, we heard it multiple times. It's a long bill. It's very complicated. 
Um, I'm not an expert on technology. I think I don't think any members of our committee um, come from uh, the technology, any aspect of uh, the tech industry. Um, so, you know, I think it's normal for legislators to face a learning curve in terms of uh, legislation like this. And we had numerous hearings uh, with experts in terms of uh, privacy. And we essentially completely rewrote the legislation. We kept some strong elements, but we added other elements. We strengthened enforcement. We strengthened protection for minors. And one thing that I think is really important is we significantly narrowed the scope of the legislation to protect Alaska businesses. So as the bill was originally written, it would have affected hundreds, if not thousands of Alaska businesses that necessarily collect uh, their customers' information, but they really, they don't sell it. They just collect it. Um, and that's necessary. I mean, whether you're a healthcare provider, a logistics company, a retailer, a restaurant, um, of course, you're going to collect your customers' information to provide good customer service. There's a difference between doing that as a bona fide business activity and selling it or um, using it in a way that's predatory, which essentially is what Facebook and, and, and data brokers do. So um, I thought it was really important that um, we focus the bill on those companies and that behavior, which is truly pernicious, while protecting both companies and consumers, right? Um, to engage in economic activity that's mutually beneficial. So we rewrote the threshold to make sure that we didn't and that we didn't encumber companies with some really complicated and expensive regulations if they weren't actually buying and selling people's data. You know, um, we have restaurants in Anchorage that I'm sure have thousands of people's phone number. So when you call and order a pizza, you know, you can pick it up. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's absolutely something wrong um, with buying and selling information, with predatory marketing to minors. So we differentiated that. And I, I want to be clear that as far as I can tell, this bill would not affect a single bona fide Alaska business because I don't, to my knowledge, we don't have any of these data brokers in Alaska. The companies that are preying on kids like Facebook, they aren't based here. As far as I know, they don't employ a single Alaskan other than lobbyists. So um, I think it is really important to focus the regulations where they're needed and not unnecessarily burden a whole bunch of um, really important businesses that provide real value to our economy. Before, before we jumped on, I was I was telling you this this bill uh, really caught my attention in, in December of 2021. You had an informational hearing of the House um, Labor and Commerce Committee. Uh, Marie Mahoney from Consumer Reports was on it as well, and you sort of introduced this new version of the bill that I think you just alluded to. And you told me before we jumped on that that was really the result of a months long stakeholder process. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, my coworkers did tons of work on this in consultation with Maureen Mahoney, Ashkin Sultani, um, the ACLU has been involved, multiple other um, privacy experts. So first of all, we researched what would the best possible data privacy bill look like? Then we tried to apply that to the administration's bill. And my coworkers spent a ton of time redrafting it in consultation with um, these experts like Maureen and, and Ashkin Sultani. After rewriting it, it took literally months for our legislative attorneys to draft it. Alaska's a part-time legislature, so we, we were mostly out of session over the summer and fall. But as soon as we got a draft back, we had that informational hearing you mentioned to start getting committee members acquainted um, with the newer version of the bill, which, like I said, retained some strong elements of what had been 
Um, you know, when the, the administration drafted the bill, the Department of Law staff based on California's bill, which is obviously a strong starting point, but it needed a lot of refinement. So when we had, had that December informational hearing, it was to acquaint members with the bill and to let them start thinking about whether there were amendments or other changes that they wanted. Because, you know, on a topic this complex, I think it makes sense to have people's input and it makes sense to have everyone feel like they're comfortable with the legislation um, if we're going to advance it. And uh, for our listeners, if you're um, trying to think about where you know the name Ashkan Satani, of course, he is now with the California Privacy Protection Agency as executive director. Uh, so you had some very significant people helping you out with with this bill, um, obviously, before he took that position. Um, Representative, I want, to, I want to ask you, I mean, we've been talking about this bill uh, now for, for the past 10 minutes and sort of its, uh, its development. I, I did want to ask you about what I think are some really interesting aspects about this bill that, that goes further than other legislation I've seen. Um, so I'll just dig in and maybe we can kind of just go through some of these provisions. The first one is, is section one, uh, for lack of a better starting point, is the DNA section. So in general, um, you've got, uh, you know, you're going to regulate the collection and use of of DNA and, and backstop that with a private right of action. And also there's a provision that, that would make it a crime to do certain things with, D, with DNA. Could you talk about that approach there with that section? Incredibly important to protect people's medical information. Why? Huge number of Americans have shared their DNA with companies like 23andMe. We have some, what I would consider very basic civil rights related to healthcare and reproductive health that are at risk. Um, because of a more partisan U.S. Supreme Court. And I think that to the extent we can protect people's um, private health information, we are ultimately protecting their ability to get health care without being discriminated against. You know, I would like to think that we're always going to have rational health care policy in terms of, say, pre-existing conditions. Um, yeah, that's kind of a dangerous thing to consume the way con- to assume the way Congress is these days. So I, I do think it's important that we that we look at medical information and privacy. Yeah, this is more than just, oh, does someone, you know, know what kind of pants I want to buy? It's way more significant than that for consumers. Yeah, and and as I alluded to before, you will have a private right of action around that. So, I mean, strict enforcement in that regard. Very hard to see how we would have adequate enforcement without a private right of action. And we have sort of a two-pronged enforcement approach in this bill. One is a private right of action. The reality is, most of the attorneys who are going to be able to effectively police technology companies are not based in the state of Alaska. So if we're not making those attorney services available to Alaskans, then how are individual Alaskans going to hold these um, companies accountable? We have a second prong of enforcement, which is a user fee on the companies that buy and sell data. And that would fund enforcement within our Alaska Department of Law within the Attorney General's office So we would build up some expertise as a state and be able to enforce the law. Um, For your listeners who probably don't live in Alaska, Alaska is a small state by population, a little more than 700,000 people. Uh, We don't have a giant technology industry with a bunch of lawyers who have developed expertise in this in the private sector who maybe could go to work for the attorney general and bring that expertise um, into service on behalf of a democratic institution. So I think we've got to build up expertise within the government so it can be responsive to citizens but we also have to recognize that kind of in the real world the way the citizens are going to hold these companies accountable is through a private right of action um so we do have a dual pronged enforcement approach i think both are necessary um and i'm pretty confident that if this bill was enacted it will actually be enforced 
uh, Representative, you, you referenced it, and it was going to be the, the one of the last things I asked you about. But since we've jumped there, I might as well dig in now. Uh, a really interesting aspect of this bill is not only do you have this concept of data broker registration, which we see in California, there's a separate bill on that, but you would uh, charge a fee on data brokers. So not only do they have to register in California, you have to pay an annual, low annual fee um, to be a data broker. But here the bill reads at least the current version. It says a business that buys, sells, or shares personal information from a consumer shall, shall pay a fee to the department. The amount of this fee is 3% of the revenue received by the business from the buying, selling, or sharing of the personal information of a consumer or household information. End of uh, section. Uh, that's aggressive. I mean, that would be a first in a nation type of a thing if, if you had a fee. So well, I'd look at it as very common sense as a user fee. You know, these are companies that are monetizing people's personal information. There can be some value in that when there's consent and understanding among consumers, but we also have to prevent predatory behavior. So I guess, you know, I look at it pretty much every area of public policy, we have user fees. We have user fees on consumers to use um, toll roads. In a sense, it's the least burdensome way to achieve a public policy objective. You know, if, if, we, if we accept the premise that we should protect people's privacy, and by the way, it's in the Alaska Constitution, so very important in Alaska to protect people's privacy. So if we accept the premise that we need to protect people's privacy, then the question is, what's the most efficient, least burdensome way to do that? Least burdensome on consumers, frankly, least burdensome on businesses. Um, and a user fee ensures that revenue is generated from those who are profiting from the activity. Um, I don't see a reason that, you know, an unrelated business should have to fund that. that. That doesn't really make sense. These companies are making a lot of money and it's reasonable to collect, frankly, a very modest fee to make sure that the behavior is not predatory. And I guess I would note, you know, tons of businesses have paid user fees forever labor rates enforcement, um, a lot of different areas. And I think long-term it's in the industry's interest to have a high standard, root out illicit behavior. And then over time, the companies that do the right thing and use the information in responsible ways, frankly, are gonna have a lot more confidence in them among consumers. Yeah, and for, for reference, just to backfill there, uh, I know our listeners would be interested, the data broker is a defined term in, this, in the bill. And it, it looks consistent with the California definition, which is a business that knowingly collects and sells to third parties the personal information of a consumer with whom the business does not have a direct relationship, but does not include a consumer reporting agency to the extent that the agency is covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So um, a really interesting provision there, like I, like I said. Another um, really interesting provision, since we're kind of skipping around here, um, is this new provision regarding the treatment of uh, personal information of minors, which is under 18 years of age. So, you know, we're all familiar in the privacy space with COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, that's under 13. Your bill uh, has a section on it that would start regulating under 18 years of age. And I, I suspect, based on your comments before, that this is really a, a, a big issue for you. It is. I mean, we've, we've seen what I think is really reprehensible behavior by technology companies, including Facebook, through some of some of its products, explicitly targeting children. I think it's wrong to try to monetize children's information. Number one, uh, I think, you know, their brains are not fully developed. They're not going to understand the implication of sharing their personal information with companies that don't care about them and merely want to make a buck off them. 
There are safety implications anytime you're dealing with children. And it's very clear from some of the recent federal oversight of technology companies that, uh, you know, Facebook, just to use one example, will consciously prey on children until and unless we prohibit them from doing it. So we have to. I guess I should note that, you know, it's not just, um, there's, of course, there are safety implications for children, but I think it's important to note that companies' ability to harvest and sell private information I think it's directly related to a lot of other social problems. You know, in the case of kids, um, anxiety, eating disorders, suicide. I mean, the rate of increase of those troubling trends among youth is sort of mind boggling. I mean, I remember when um, iPhones first became the dominant handheld communications product. Um, so even, you know, as, as a relatively young guy, just wit witnessing the change in consumer behavior and associated outcomes in terms of public health, is really disturbing. And it's absolutely related to marketing to kids. I, I mean, it just seems that that's an area that we all should get behind, right? Is regulating the way in which technology invades our, our children's daily lives. It just seems like that's something that really doesn't, shouldn't have partisan lines. Is it, is your sense been that this is a, 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 an issue that has bipartisan support? I haven't heard any opposition to the bill as we've had these hearings. I mean, people want to understand it. So I think the votes will show people's views on it, but there certainly seems to be bipartisan interest. And like I said, if there's one issue that unites Alaskans, it's privacy, a right to privacy. And, and to backfill for, for those listening, the, the section in particular on the, the, the under 18 section that, that really caught my eye reads, a business may not track or profile the personal information of an individual who is under 18 years of age in order to provide to the individual a commercial advertisement that is based on the personal information or computer online activity of the individual. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty big hard stop that they, they should not be tracking. This is like tobacco. Should you be able to sell tobacco to a 12 year old if they consent that they acknowledge the risk of smoking? No, because their brain is not fully developed. They don't have that understanding. They can't have it, frankly. And we shouldn't be selling tobacco products to minors, just like we shouldn't be allowing you know, these companies like Facebook to prey on youth. It's just it's simply wrong and it needs to be banned. Let me ask you, related to the to the online tracking, um, your bill has um, a requirement for businesses to respect the opt out signals. Um, you know, you, your bill calls it the global privacy control. Um, Colorado you know, uses a, a universal opt-out mechanism, I think is the phrase they use there. But, you know, California has it, it's, in, it's in, in its bill. The concept's all the same, right? Which is, you know, rather than requiring a user to show up on every single website and opt-out, this would be a, a one-stop mechanism to opt-out of, of tracking. You know, where does this come from in your mind? Uh, you know, what's the significance of this provision uh, to this bill? I was asking Soltani's idea, and I appreciate him bring it forward. And I guess I should say, I mean, a lot of people put a ton of time into this bill, including some who are doing so purely as volunteers working in the public interest. So thank you um, to everyone who did that. And obviously, anytime you work on a bill, you don't know if it's going to pass. So, I mean, you put in all this time hoping that something passes, or at least we can set out a strong model. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I think, and this was one of the things we talked about in some of these earlier hearings, um, where Mr. Sultani and Ms. Mahoney and others were testifying, it's really hard to protect people's privacy and navigate the, the realities of human behavior. You know, it's so easy. You go to a website. Oh, click here so you can use this website. You sign all your rights away, right? If we don't account for those realities of human behavior, we're not going to protect people's privacy. And that's a hard thing to navigate in the law. So 
the global privacy control is really important because we need to make it easy for consumers to protect themselves. Global privacy control does that. If the default scenario is that it's super cumbersome and tedious for consumers to protect their privacy, guess what? Their privacy won't be protected most of the time. I mean, I think this is, you know, behavioral scientists have been studying and writing about this in a, in a wide range of public policy areas, including public health for over a decade. And I think we should we should learn from that and make, you know, the easy default scenario, the best for the public and the best for consumers. Yeah, and sort of related to that, there's another section that I think it just struck me as very unique to the Alaska bill, which is it's currently Section 80, 805. Of course, but by, by the time everybody listens to these things, you know, these bills get, get, get moved all around. So this is version I is what we're looking at. I know you're working on another version right now. Um, but the section um, that really caught my eye that's related to this, it reads, a business that collects the consumer's personal information shall limit its collection and sharing of the personal information with third parties to what is reasonably necessary for the business to provide a service or conduct an activity that a consumer has requested or has consented to, or that is reasonably necessary for security or fraud prevention. Seems like there's a really big prohibition on secondary uses coming out of that. Am I reading that correctly? This was something that came out of uh, an oversight hearing that Maureen Mahoney participated in. And, you know, how do you balance um, consumers and businesses' legitimate interest in serving consumers, which does require some knowledge of what consumers want, with protection of consumers' information um, from a bunch of businesses or entities that the consumer has no interest in those businesses having or knowing. So I, I think the obvious way to do it is to limit that secondary use. Um, so yeah, if I want to, you know, give my phone number to, you know, a company so that I can, you know, purchase goods and services efficiently from that company, that's fine. Why would that company be able to sell it to, you know, a business that I don't know anything about, which may not be the most scrupulous? It's, it seems to me that this structure balances um, sort of the economic benefits of online commerce with protection for consumers against maybe some of the risks they might not be fully cognizant of. Yeah, and related to that, the, the next section of the bill, again, something I, I haven't seen in another version of the bill before, I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, this is Section 810, the current draft that I'm looking at, and the title is Notification of Business Upon Receipt or disclosure of personal information. And, and it reads, Section A at least reads, when a person receives personal information for a business purpose or commercial purpose that a business originally collected from a consumer, the person shall notify the business that the person possesses the personal information and provide the person's contact information. The person shall provide updated contact information to the business if the person's contact information changes. Again, really yeah. uh, strong, uh, you know, contours around the sharing of uh, personal information. Care to speak on that one? It's really interesting to me. I've not seen that before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stepping back, obviously, Europe has better consumer protections in terms of um, making dangerous or inaccurate information um, disappear from the Internet that might, you know, pose a risk to you personally, pose a risk to you professionally. I think another contextual piece of it is we've seen the dangers of um, revenge porn among youth. You know, you have someone who shares information about someone who never wanted it shared and suddenly it, it's quote all over the internet. How do you address that? Um, there are a lot of ways where there, or there are a lot of circumstances in which a consumer should be able to understand how someone illicitly potentially share their information and, and put themselves at risk. Um, so this just strengthens the chain of custody so that consumers maybe 
have a chance of controlling their own information in an online environment. I think it's really outrageous um, when these technology companies essentially say, by, by virtue of ignoring what consumers want, then no, we're just going to put your information out there. It could be graphic. It could be, um, it could be inappropriate. It could be grossly inaccurate and prevent someone from getting a job. I don't, I don't know how that's defensible from the company's perspective. So yeah, con- consumers should have more control over their own information on the internet. Let me just sort of stepping back. I, I think you know, obviously, we'll go through a process of putting this podcast out. Usually, takes a few days from recording until um, until publication of the podcast. Uh, but you know, sort of, sort of show our hand. Today's January thirty first, twenty twenty two. You have a hearing, a few hours on this bill. Um, what, what is the status? I mean, what what should what should people out there? You know, I, I said in a post yesterday on LinkedIn. I said, keep your eyes on Alaska. Um, is that right? Should you think you got momentum there? Yeah, I think you know the, the bill is with our legislative drafter. Assuming assuming she finishes all the language, we will adopt a new CS and. I'm hopeful that we'll we'll pass the bill today. A, a CS is is a committee substitute that incorporates additional changes. I don't think I've seen any other amendments from other members. Um, you know, we've we've discussed this so thoroughly and worked, as far as I know, with every stakeholder. That, as far as I can tell, the the issues that have come up we've addressed through committee substitutes, and you know, we've done multiple iterations of it because it's a complex topic. And like I said, we want to protect local businesses as we seek to control predatory behavior by businesses that aren't even based here. So, so that's a fine balance. And um, if that draft is done, I expect we'll pass it today out of this committee. So if I, I've learned anything trying to track, uh, you know, legislative process of 50 state legislatures, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to think that, that, you know, how the state's going to do anything. I've been, I've been wrong many times. So let me, let me solicit from, you know, the expert here, what, what would be the remaining um, path of the bill if it gets out of committee? Last year when Colorado's, uh, Colorado ended up passing a bill, I, I thought it was dead. For about two months, I thought the bill was actually dead. <laughs> and meanwhile, they were, they, they had blown every deadline that was on the books, and apparently deadlines didn't mean much of anything, uh, at least in Colorado. So House Judiciary, the next committee referral, scheduled what we call a hearing pending referral on Wednesday. So if this draft is done today and we're able to pass it, it will be in our next committee hearing this week. Um, I know that the, I think that committee chairman and his staff have followed it closely. And then it has one more committee referral finance before it goes to the floor. You know, the way it's supposed to work with these things is the policy committees address the policy. The, um, the, the, the budget committee, the, the money committee addresses the, the fiscal aspects of it, which in this case would be, you know, the enforcement. Um, of course, finance members would never uh, give up the opportunity to weigh in on public policy. So, so we'll see how it progresses through the committees, but it's got two more. And, you know, you almost never see a bill pass out of a committee one day and then literally the next hearing, the next committee, it's in that committee. That generally indicates interest in moving the bill. But look, I mean, what percentage of bills pass in Alaska on any given year? A low percentage. So I'm optimistic that there's interest in it, but I would certainly, you know, it, it, we don't have enough information to say whether it's going to pass or not at this time. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And um, it's always so hard to predict with bills in general and privacy bills in, in particular. Uh, one I, I did note in the bill, uh, just going back to it briefly, is there there would be attorney general rulemaking out of the bill, and you mentioned before this sort of you know dual track AG enforcement as well as a prior right of action. Has the attorney general's office been engaged in in this process at all to support the bill, oppose the bill? 
The attorney general staff, so the professional non-political attorneys, um, participated in some of those early hearings explaining the governor's bill. We have shared our updated drafts with the governor's office and the attorney general's office, and they have uh, they have not had an, a stated position on the many policy changes that have been made. So, yes, but I would say they have not driven the changes in the sense that sort of the uh, policy experts have. Thank you for that. Um, let, let me take just, you know, sort of put the, bull, the bill aside and, and um, you know, in the last few minutes of, of our conversation today, uh, just kind of ask you your general thoughts on, you know, I, I always ask in these, in these podcast interviews, state versus federal, right? Uh, I mean, you know, this is Alaska. We have a number of states who are pursuing these bills. Um, what is your thought on the role of whether the states should be doing this versus the federal government? Uh, I find it hilarious when these astroturf organizations funded by the companies cashing in on predatory behavior come to Alaska and say, oh, don't pass a state law. Only the federal government should regulate this. Well, of course, they're spending immense amounts of money to make sure that the federal government never regulates this in a meaningful way. So, as you know, what companies do, number one, they block meaningful federal action. Number two, they try to have state legislatures pass laws that to the extent they pass a law at all, essentially is toothless. And then they can say, oh, we passed a privacy law, consumers are protected, knowing it has done nothing meaningful to protect consumers. So that's, I mean, that's what these companies like, you know, Facebook are doing is trying to block meaningful reform while passing toothless reform and claiming it protects consumers. Very cynical. Um, you know, I mean, something I think about is, how as a conscientious individual, can you work for these companies? and not blow the whistle on them. And I think, you know, the recent whistleblower um, activism out of Facebook really shows that every single individual person has a moral choice about how they use their job and their experience. And given the size of these companies and their ability to effectively block any federal legislation from passing, I think puts more of the moral onus on the individual, the worker, to use their own power to hold these companies accountable and protect the public interest. And, you know, certainly Francis Hogan did that. We all have the ability, you know, for people who work in the tech industry, most the overwhelming majority of whom are well-intentioned, every single person has the ability to do that. And I think we should reflect on it as citizens. You know, I mean, my job is to be a legislator and I wanna do the best job, you know, in this, in this context, privacy as I can. But for people who work in private industry, they have immense power to affect positive change. Maybe it's by being a whistleblower. And I just think that's, an, you know, every one of us can think about what our individual role is um, in that regard, knowing that federal, let's face it, federal legislation isn't going to pass. Yeah, it's, it's well, it seems like it's anybody's guess right now, right, about <laughs> what a federal legislation. We've seen a lot of bills, but we haven't seen any hearings, right? Is that sort of? You know, yeah, the only federal bill that would pass would be something utterly toothless where people could, you know, politicians could claim victory while companies continue to, you know, prey on kids with their pride. I mean, that's not a victory. And my, my, my sense in, in, in just hearing you talk on these issues is you know, what your real hope is here with this bill is to really advance the regulation here. And we do have Colorado, Virginia and California. Your bill, frankly, goes beyond all three of those. And it seems like it's very important for you to, to really advance this discussion to set a new a new bar for, for privacy legislation in this country. Absolutely. I would like this bill to pass. But even if it doesn't pass, I want to set out what a high standard is because that's something that all of us should be thinking about in state legislatures across the country. 
Let me ask you then too to kind of put in context. So it's you know we, we've got California originally with the CCPA, now CPRA, Colorado and Virginia jump in uh, last year. Does seeing three states tackle this does that encourage you to proceed with this? Does it make your life easier? Does it make that your life harder in pursuing this, this legislation? How how do you kind of see yourself fitting into the puzzle? I suppose. I think it makes it easier in the sense that you can look to maybe what's working and what's not and learn from that. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure if you ask people who worked on um, the, the iter- multiple iterations of California's law, they would write it differently if they enacted it today. But of course, inter- enacting those laws and learning from them and refining them is a necessary part of the process. And it's a positive thing when legislatures can learn from one another. Well, Representative Fields, this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion with your, you here today. Obviously, for my part, we'll be tracking what you do over the next uh, few weeks, if not months, incredibly closely. Uh, closely. Is there anything you'd like to end with uh, and relate to our listeners? Sure. I think, you know, as, as we look back over really since 2016, the, uh, the impact of technology companies and their ability to track and sell information on individuals has sweeping and in some cases pernicious effects on people's health, on their safety, and on our democracy. So, I don't see this as sort of an obscure or academic issue. It's an issue that affects every aspect of our lives and democracy. And I think we should pay attention to it. Thank you again for joining us, Representative Fields. And um, good luck with your future efforts uh, with, with HB 159. Thanks, David.